0: Starting in Isaiah, hearing some of his vision from chapter 6. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. And then from Revelation 16, look. I come like a thief blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the Kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, Fell on people, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. And then from Second Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then an exhortation from Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts.
1: Thank you, Cynthia. Well good morning. morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I've been traveling quite a bit and I'm just happy to to be back in our community. I love this family and so it's good to be here together. A couple years back I was uh, getting ready to uh, take the family. We're going to go kind of enjoy some time in the park and skate. My kids were really into skateboarding and and we're going to go to skate park and just enjoy a day with the family. And as we went out uh as I went out into the garage to grab the boys uh, skateboards that we got for them, some of them were Christmas gifts, others were birthday. They're really nice skateboards. I went on to the rack uh where we would would hang the skateboards uh and they were all gone. They were gone. So I went to the boys, "Hey boys, where's your skateboards? They're on the rack." Someone had come in the night and come directly into our garage, and they stole all the skateboards off our, off our rack. Part of it may have been my problem in that our garage door was open. <laughs> we got a little comfortable with Boise, Idaho. I know many of us leave our doors or our car doors. It was accidental that we left the garage door open, but still, they came in the middle of the night and stole our stuff. I had no idea. Totally unaware. We didn't hear a thing. Next thing you know, it was gone. The scriptures we look at this morning, the Cynthia just read, says Jesus is coming back like that. His judgment upon mankind is coming back like that. His His renewal, his redemption is coming back. He will come like a thief in the night. It's funny how we keep trying to set a date for when all this happens. We will not know. It could be during this sermon. But his ultimate final work, the coming as King of Kings, his final judgment, his redemption, his renewal, making everything right, dealing with sin and evil, it's all going to be wiped out. God's wrath is going to come like a thief in the night. And then after he deals with sin and evil and death, then all will be renewed. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready like firemen are? Preparing as the, as the alarm goes off, boom. They're into their, their fire gear and they're on the trucks and they're out the door. They're ready. They've been prepared. Have you been thinking about, what is my life all about? Are you prepared? Are you ready? The question is, where is your heart? Have you surrendered your heart to our loving Lord Jesus? Because today is the day of salvation. And is your heart ready for when our loving Lord comes like a thief in the night? Let's pray. Father, I pray as we look at the book of Revelation in chapter 16, I pray, Father, that you will stir our hearts through your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you give us this chapter to wake us up, to think about if if we are ready, if we are your children, if we have surrendered our hearts, to show us what the consequences are when we rebel against you, when we want nothing to do with you, Father, Speak to us through your Spirit how much you love us and long for relationship with us. Pour out upon this room. Minister to us this morning, I pray. May we receive your love. May we know you more this morning. In your precious name, amen. Well, we've been in all these chapters, a lot of information coming your way and trying to to understand what the Lord is doing in Revelation, we've, we've opened up the seals and the trumpets have been sounded. And now in chapter 16, we get into the pouring out of the bowls. The previous judgments were partial, they were fractions. And now, as we enter into chapter 16, the judgments will be complete. It's going to be finished, it's going to be done. Everything in God's judgment, he's just going to get rid of it. He's going to destroy it, evil and sin, and he's going to renew, as we'll see later on in the chapters. The beginning of this chapter, and I love one of the things that Daryl Johnson says. He says, starting in chapter 15, which Mary Ann touched on last week, in chapter 15, we are bookended from chapter 15 in the beginning to the end of chapter 16. We're bookended with the word Wrath. God's wrath is coming. His full wrath, His complete wrath, is coming upon mankind. Chapter 15 says, The seven angels of the seven last plagues poured it out last because in them, with them, God's wrath was completed. It was finished. In chapter 16, verse 19, Cynthia just read this, but All of a sudden the city split open, God's fury came out. The cup was filled with His wrath. What do you think about God's wrath? When you hear that term, what goes through your mind? It's not just an Old Testament word. Wrath of God is something we saw in the Old Testament. We saw that poured out in many judgments. But the New Testament, sometimes we think, well, it's only loving, gracious God. Daryl Johnson speaks again that we come up against the word wrath of God in every book of the New Testament. So what do you think about it? God's wrath, but he's a loving God. How do you wrestle with that? Do you think it's not fair? God, how could you pour out such destruction on people? How could you wipe out nations? Do you feel that it's not fair? How could a loving God bring such judgment? I love what Leon Morris says about wrath. He says, The wrath of God is God's strong opposition to all that is, all that is evil. And this arises out of God's very nature. God's wrath is a burning zeal for what is right, coupled with a perfect hatred for everything that is evil. Do you catch that? God's wrath. Can't stand evil. He must restore. He's going to destroy it. God in His holiness must deal with sin. He must. He must deal with evil. And He will restore everything. This is the great hope we have in our Lord Jesus Christ because of what He did on the cross. Because He is the creator of all. He is the lover of our souls. He will restore everything. Create it anew. All that it was intended to be. God's wrath is actually God's love. God's wrath is God's love. Sin and evil and corruption and destruction fill the earth and God enters in right to it to defeat it. The other word that bookends chapters 15 and 16 is the word finished. In chapter 15, God's wrath came and it was completed. It was finished. In chapter 16, verse 17, the bowl was poured out into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Do you hear the echoes from the cross? It is done. As we enter into chapter 16, we, we hear a command, a loud voice coming from the temple. It comes from the tabernacle of covenant or the, the tabernacle of witness. It's the pouring out of the bowls, which is the outworking, the natural consequences of, of violating God's moral law. Did you understand in the, in the tabernacle we had the Ten Commandments in the desert? And the pouring out of the bowls is a direct consequence of violating God's moral law. The tabernacle or the place of testimony, the the gathering place, was the place where you would meet the holy God. Fire filled, smoke filled the room. Holy God present in our midst. It was the place you would go to be present with the living God. Our God is holy. He is burning His zeal to call upon for purity and righteousness. Daryl Johnson says, the bowls are the natural, automatic reflex to holiness. They are the logical response, the awful, logical response of holiness towards evil and impurity. Because God is holy, he must deal with sin and evil. His wrath is love so that we can, through His Son, come into relationship with living, holy God. It is finished. He's dealt with sin. And in the end, He deals with all evil and everything that is against God. The angels come out of the temple and they start to pour out the bowls. They're described as radiant and purity And they're speaking forth and they're pouring out these bowls shining and white. It's the same imagery we have in Revelation 1, verse 12. That the one who showed up like a sun and he was shining in a sash and golden and he spoke forth and eyes blazing. From the throne comes the voice. It's Jesus. And so comes the pouring out Of the bowls, the angels responding to the call of God through the call of Jesus. T.F. Torrance says this, I appreciate it. The wrath in which the angels are about to pour out upon the earth is pure, it's sinless wrath, it's priestly in its function, it's golden in its integrity, it has no bestial passion, it's no spite, no hate. There is no anger of sin in it at all. The pouring out of the bowls, this awful scene that we're entering into, emerges from the presence and the character of our holy God who is just and who is true. What do you think about wrath? The seven bowls, as we go into chapter 16, are related to, to what came before the series of sevens, the seals and the trumpets. But as we get into the bulls, there's an increase in intensity. Again, we have fractions before, a third and a fourth. They were, they were wiped out. Now everything's going to be destroyed. This really is one of the most awful passages in all of Scripture. And We go, Lord, oh. And you, you should be standing and, and gasping at the destruction that comes. Like any time we see this, this tragic fire or this earthquake and just comes and destroys our land and destroys people's lives, we, we have to go, oh, Lord. It's an awful scene. It increases in intensity. And these series of sevens are viewed from different perspectives. The seals are, are viewed from the suffering church and the trumpets are viewed from the perspective of the world as it's being called to repentance. And the bowls are being viewed now as we go in from the temple, the throne of God. There has been warning. There has been warning. There has been warning. This is what God is going to do. Repent. And there's warning and warning. And now in chapter 16, no more warning. Just judgment upon the consequence of sin, upon rebellion against God, upon hearts that have not repented and turned to our loving Savior. Now comes this awful scene. In the pouring out of the bowls, it's intended to give us this imagery to make us feel the horrors and the awful, terrible consequences of not repenting. You should feel it. And the first angel went and he poured out his bowl on the land and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast. They'd taken up allegiance with the enemy and they worshipped his image. The first bowl poured out takes us right back to Exodus 9. We're going to see all kinds of imagery that that is related and connected with the judgments upon the Egyptians as they were holding Israel in captivity. And as God comes to deliver them, Moses is told Moses, go before Pharaoh and take the ashes, the soot, and throw it up in the air before Pharaoh. And so he does. And as the soot falls upon the people in the court of Pharaoh, they break out in boils. The magicians have boils all over them. But in their their power, their magic, they couldn't do anything to get rid of it. Painful sores all over their body. Here comes the first pouring out. This final judgment that's going to come. And it's poured out. Pharaoh, I'm giving you a chance. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Unrepentant. As the bowls are poured out in Revelation 16, and as we're reminded of Egypt, God is dealing with sin. He's dealing with Evil. He is crushing the enemy. He's fighting against the enemy, although it's not a fight at all. It's like a giant sumo wrestler going up against a one-year-old infant. And somehow, we think, as man, we can fight against God. We think we can keep doing our own thing. We can kick against Him and we will somehow win. There's no fight at all. God is creator of all. He's ruler of all. And He is going to come in and He is going to deliver. God is saving. God will redeem. God is bringing His people out of bondage and into the promised land. All now that is happening has been partial. It shall be complete. This is the hope we have. It's the certain hope we have. Complete deliverance. Complete restoration. Complete renewal. The perfect promised land. We're going to get into new heavens and new earth. It's all going to be complete. But God must deal and destroy sin and evil. And he must do this because he is holy, and he must do this because he is love. The second bowl and the third are poured out, and it has the same consequence. It's poured out into the sea, and the sea becomes like blood. It's poured out into the rivers and the streams, and it becomes like blood. Everything dies. You ever smelled rotting fish? Can you imagine? It's going to be nothing but dead fish floating, bloated on the surface. There was in Katrina the oyster bars. People were physically getting sick because of the smell coming after Katrina in New Orleans. And the oyster bars had that stinking, rotting smell of oysters all throughout the, the city. It's all dying. It's all dead. And the springs where we get our, our water you won't be able to satisfy your thirst. The one who had been offering all this time, I give you springs of living water. Will you drink of me? Will you receive me as your Lord and Savior? And you will have springs. They will overflow. Do you understand when we go all the way to the end and we say to God, to heck with you, God our thirst will never be satisfied. The spring of living water is shut off. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, as his bowls are being poured out, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One. You who are and who were, you are just in your judgments, O Holy One. I had lunch with a man a couple of years back, came to me and said, hey, I just want to talk to you about, I'm trying to understand God more. I wanting to get right with God. Can we go to lunch? And I said, absolutely. Took him out to lunch and he started to talk about just his life. He'd had several marriages and he was with a, a woman now that wasn't his wife that he was living with. He said, you know, I just don't understand. Life is not going well, and now I'm struggling. The woman I'm with, now I'm really struggling with, and I don't know, I don't know how to make it right. And I said, well, you're, you need to deal with what's going on in your heart. You need to deal with, with your choices. You've got to understand something. You're saying you're a follower of Jesus? Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, the Lord doesn't want us to be living with this woman. He said, well, who are you to judge me? I said, I'm not not judging you at all. I'm just telling you what God's word says about this. And I think in order for things to go well with you, to actually have living, you came to me and said, I want to get right with God. I'm telling you how to do that. You need to repent of your sin. You need to decide whether or not you're going to marry this woman. But what you're doing right now is you're living contrary to what God has for your life. And he said, well, you're judging me. I said, no, I'm not. Well, I don't believe in a God who judges like that. That's what he said straight up. I don't believe in a God who judges like that. And I'm like, so what do you believe in? Well, God's God of love. He's a God of grace. I'm like, yeah, but he's not a God who's going to let you just absolutely be destroyed in your sin. Do you understand? You keep going down this path, you're going to end up like you have with all the other relationships. God must judge what's going on in your life. And He does that so you can actually have life. And He wants us to come repentant to Him. Your judgments, O Lord, are righteous and true. They're calling out from the altar. They have, verse 6, For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this evil man who came into the refugee community and stabbed nine people and he killed that little three-year-old child? Can you imagine if he went before the judge and the judge said, Listen, you know what? I know you didn't mean to do it. I know you're not an evil man to the core. I know it was a mistake. And so I sentenced you to, to three months' community service. Can you imagine? How would we respond if that was the judgment? We would storm the streets, wouldn't we? We would cry for justice. We would know in our hearts and we would cry out this is wrong. This is evil. What took place by that man is evil. He needs to have consequences that are just and fitting and true and right for his taking of innocent life. We would demand that. Why? Because that's the character of God. We couldn't stand for that. Those victims are destroyed in their souls. They're grieving. Their wounds are deep... Permanent physical damage. Three months community service. No. God in his love must judge evil and sin. By the way, you need to be praying for Nick and Laura Armstrong. They are Jesus to these families. They've been showing up pretty much regularly, daily by their side to bring God's love, just to be a friend, just to provide a hug, just also to figure out resources. Lift them up because they really are Jesus to these people. And it's a heavy, heavy burden. It was such an evil atrocity that took place. You are just and holy. You're the same true God over all of time who was and is and is to be. They have shed the blood of innocent people, of those who were your servants. They are, the scriptures actually say, they are worthy to receive this judgment, which means they are deserving to receive this judgment upon the evil that they have done. Blood that they have spilled, by blood they shall be judged. These are just and true. The fourth angel, angel poured out his bowl and the sun came and it would scorch the people with fire. It just keeps increasing in intensity. The global warming folks always use this passage. See, I told you so. You know, it's heating up. They were seared with the intense heat. It's, it's contrasted with chapter 7, verse 16, where the, the followers of the Lamb were not burned at all. And as this intense heat is coming upon the people, what do you expect? What do you expect the people to cry out? I would expect, Have mercy on us, O God! Have mercy on us! This is too much! Isn't that what you would expect? But what's the response? And they cursed God. They blasphemed the name of God. The one who actually had control over all these things. And they refused to repent and to glorify Him. Oh, that reveals the condition of the heart, doesn't it? A heart that just became harder and harder and harder. As God was trying to reach out His hand in love, they kept saying through the whole life, to heck with you, God, I want nothing to do with you. And so in the final judgments... Instead of crying out for mercy, they curse God. They blaspheme Him. Just like Pharaoh. And the fifth angel poured out from his bowl from the throne of the beast towards the throne of the beast. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony. It's a direct attack on the beast himself. And yet as as it comes upon the beast... What do the people do again? And they curse God. They blaspheme him. Say, to heck with you, God. They do not repent. They wanted nothing to do with God. Even more than that, they joined alliance with the beast, with the enemy. And they went to war against God. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates And the water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. You see, for the Romans, east of the Euphrates was the great unknown. It scared them, actually. The Romans feared what lived beyond in the east of the Euphrates. There was a myth that was going around that actually Nero never died. And that he was living in the east and he was actually building an army that was going to come and exact revenge and come marching in to Rome. So they feared what was out there. There was all these myths going on. Then I saw these three impure spirits that looked like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the beast and out of the false prophet. These demonic spirits won and they talked to the kings and they gathered them for battle against God on the day of the Lord God Almighty. This evil trinity, really, that looked like frogs, that came from the dragon and the beast and the false prophet, they're stirring up the kings to do battle against God. This is the image that John is having. You know, it's really interesting. They, they found these carvings in the cave in Patmos, the island where John received his revelation And he was carving, apparently, into the cave wall what these demons look like. And I want to show you what they found. It was really amazing uh, what they discovered in the caves. That's true. You know, this is really what it's like. It's Muppets waging war against the living God. Thinking we can do battle against the living God. And as the bowls are being poured out, then all of a sudden there is a commercial break. There's a pause and a pouring out of the bowls. Look, watch, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and shamefully exposed. Don't go to sleep at night and take off your garments. Be prepared, be ready God is coming. He is going to exact His justice, which is true and right. He is going to redeem. He's going to restore. The King of kings is coming back. Stay awake. Be alert. Live a life that is expectant. And we live life now in this broken, suffering world, trusting in God, who is our Lord, and saying, Lord, what do you have for me while I'm here? But I'm going to live expectant that you are one day going to come and you are going to deal with sin and death and evil and you're going to make it right. It's like soldiers prepared for army for going into battle. Loins girded up, never able to fall asleep on duty, always having their spear ready to wage war if something was to come upon For those who were part of the temple guard, Edersheim speaks in his history book on the temple about there was there was accounts of those who were on temple guard. If they fell asleep, the general, the leader of the temple guard, would come while they're sleeping, and he would light their garments on fire. That woke them up. They're saying, "Don't be ashamed. Don't go off guard." Don't be caught without your clothes. Look, watch, be prepared, live life expectant, live life in the power of God now on this planet Earth. Be ready. Is your heart ready? Stop resisting my love, the Lord is saying to us. Repent. Surrender your life unto Jesus. Why do you keep kicking and fighting against him? Let him wash you. Let him wash your sin. Let him take all that guilt and shame. Become a child of God. And then the Muppets gathered the kings together to the place in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. What apocalyptic literature, right? Armageddon. It's, it's Har Megiddo. It's the, it's the mountain, the, the hill of Megiddo, the city. So many battles were fought in the Jezreel Valley there. So much blood has shed, has been shed there. Napoleon stood on the hill of Megiddo and he looked over the Jezreel Valley and he put his hand in his coat like this and he said, all the armies of the world could gather here for battle. There was a great battle in 2 Kings 23 with Josiah, who was king of Judah and king of, uh, king Necho of Egypt, and they came to battle and Egypt won and destroyed most of Judah and Judah became weak. And then what happens next? Babylon comes in and takes over. What we're going to see in Revelation 16 now it's a reversal. Now there's going to be judgment upon Babylon, the new Babylon. And God will be victorious, his people. Our Lord will win this battle. Armageddon. It's really an event. Daryl Johnson says, The name stands for the last resistance for the Antichrist forces before the coming of the new creation. The kings will indeed gather for battle, but we all know the battle's never fought. Like Tyson prayed this morning, you spoke a word and it was created, and in the end, He's going to speak a word, and it is finished. And then the final bowl is poured out into the air, the final judgment. It reminds us of Ephesians 2. You were dead in your transgression and sins, which you used to live when you followed the ruler of this world, the kingdom of the air, the spirit that's at work in those who are disobedient. And as the final bowl is poured out, they curse God to the end. And it breaks God's heart. How do we live? What does all this mean for us? How do we live as ready, watching disciples of Jesus Christ? We live out the life of Christ now. It is I who no longer live, but Christ who lives through me. God is a God of justice. And so let us be a people who are just. And let us come alongside people who cannot bring any justice themselves. And let's, let's come alongside of them and bring the life of Christ and bring justice. Let's, let's comfort them. Let's remind them of the God who is just. Let's give them hope and peace. And truth. But let's be a people who are just. Because that is the character of God. And however the Holy Spirit spurs you on to enter into justice, respond to the Spirit. This chapter for me just reminds me, and I hope you, that there are so many people who are dying in their sin. There are so many people who are going to be separated from God forever. They are going to suffer His eternal judgment on sin and evil. We should care about that. And if you don't care, ask God, God, give me a heart for those who are lost, who are hungry, who are looking for truth. God, help me to do that. I spent time with in the Czech Republic for two weeks. And I ran into a guy named Joaquin who was at the Travna celebration. And Joaquin came and, and he said, Rod, uh, good to meet you. Uh, my name is Joaquin. I, I'm actually uh, Natalie's boyfriend. And I knew Natalie from a previous trip. I said, how'd you meet? And, well, on the, on the Camino de Santiago in, in Spain, we were on that journey together, on a spiritual journey together. I said, "Wonderful," and, and got to know them. I said, "I had some friends who did that journey." Actually, one guy was in a wheelchair and he was pushed the whole way, all 500 miles. And so we just developed a friendship. And then, the next day, I saw him at lunch and I said, What, Keen, well, why are you here? What's what's been your spiritual journey?" And he said, "Well, Rod, honestly, I'm a seeking. I'm, I'm seeking what this is all about." My girlfriend has talked to me about Jesus, and, and I, I'm, really, I'm really curious about what this means. And so he goes, what's, what's it been like for you? I'm like, well, funny you should ask. <laughs> so for the next hour, I tell him about my personal... He was raised in Spain, Catholic. I tell him about my personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how it's not a religion... It's a relationship and how much he loves us and all that he went through to to develop and, and have a relationship with us. Holy God. And then there was a beautiful gal, Daniela, who was next to us, and she was younger, and, and Joaquin's young, and I said, Daniela, come over here. I go, Joaquin is interested in what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I said, Daniela, tell him about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And at first she's like, oh! And then she started to share. And Joaquin's eyes were opened wide. And he goes, this is so interesting. And I said, Joaquin, pray this. Pray that the living God and his son Jesus will reveal himself to you. Because everything that you were looking for on the road, on Santiago, on the El Camino, every every spiritual every part of that spiritual journey where you were looking for something, it can only be found in Jesus. Next day, shows up, runs across the grass, gives me a big hug. He says, he says Rod, I just, want you to, I just want to thank you for telling me about who Jesus is and what it means to have a personal relationship with him. And I want you to know as you go, to, I want you to know I'm going to be praying that prayer you told me to pray. Because I really do want to know. And I told him, I go, Joaquin, I know you're going to be a child of God sooner than you know. And we hugged and we left. I want you to be praying for Joaquin. Praying that God will reveal. I'm sure we'll get report that he's a child of God. Do you care? When someone asks you what's the hope you have, do you have an answer for them? And if you're in this room this morning... And you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Today is the day of salvation for you. To repent and say, God, I need you. I am a broken sinner. Save me, God. We're going to spend some time singing up here to respond to this passage. And if while we're singing, you just want to come and be prayed over, I'm going to be right up here. If you want to come and pray that God will be your Lord and Savior, I'll do that with you together. But let's respond. If today you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart against Him. Be saved. Be washed. Be cleansed. Become a child of God. Father, we ask that Your Spirit will pour it upon this room this morning. We pray that You will Renew us and restore us and give us your heart. Father, thank you for giving us these warnings to show us your judgment that is coming and awaken us. Show us how to live in these days of suffering and trial as disciples of you, Jesus. May we have your heart for the lost. May we bring justice in places where there is injustice. Father, we seek after you and we acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior. In your precious name, amen.